I aim to fail every week. But it feels so horrible to fail. It does, but it's like everything. If you practice, then you get more comfortable with it. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was BMXer Sarah Walker. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. Each week, we find the very best athletes and speakers, and we ask them to go in deep about all the biggest Olympic talking points. So, there's nothing quite like the complete organised chaos of a BMX race. In less than a minute, anything can happen. Crashes, people go from first place to last place, or dominate, like, the whole way round. Sarah Walker took one look at BMX and she loved it. And despite 18 broken bones, 18, think about that, she still does now. The sport serves up disappointment upon disappointment all the time. Walker knows this more than most. She finished fourth at Beijing 2008, took silver at London 2012 and missed out completely on Rio 2016. She says that she looks back with equal pride at her performances at London and at Rio. Confused? Unconvinced? So was I. So I sat down with her, a 30-year-old from New Zealand, and we began by talking about why she wanted to become an Olympian in the first place. Olympic Channel Podcast. I have a younger brother, which is the reason I started BMX in the first first place. It was an hour and a quarter drive each way to the BMX track, and I had to watch my brother ride. Um, so after a, a month or two, I got sick of watching and ended up having a go and loved it right from the beginning, uh, which my brother wasn't that happy with because it meant we had to share a bike. <laughs> So, yeah, it, it was a, another couple of months before I got my own bike and, and once we did, we, there was no way my little brother was going to be better than me. So, <laughs> if he did something, I had to do it too. Uh, and we just push each other to get faster and do bigger jumps and, yeah, I wouldn't be where I am now without having that, that sure. sibling rivalry competition. Runs deep, nothing runs deeper than wanting to beat your little yeah. brother. Really, is it? Yeah. What's he doing now? Uh, so my brother does uh, professional downhill mountain biking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's been in Europe for most of this year um, racing, and yeah, he, he does some of the urban downhills as well, which is the one over the stairs yeah, yeah. through the cities. Um, he's been on the podium a few times with those. So I, personally, I think like BMX racing is a little bit crazy, but I think what my brother does is even more crazy. So. Yeah. Well, it's just different crazy for me, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It's like, yeah, I don't think it's a don't try this at home situation exactly. with, with both of those things, yeah. isn't it? So when did it happen for both of you where it was like, when did your mum and dad sort of realise they're getting really good at this? Like, she's getting, we need to take this a bit more seriously, I think. Well... I was really lucky because the national champion for my age group was based at the same club we started. So I got to compete against the best in the country from the first time I rode. So it was good, I got to benchmark myself. Um, I probably, 
annoyed her a little because I would just follow her around and learn everything I could from her. Um, and in racing, I would follow her all the way to the last straight and then and pass her down the last straight <laughs> in almost every every race. Um, so I can imagine now that would have been frustrating, but at the time, it wasn't something I'd thought of. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really cool to benchmark myself against the best in New Zealand um, straight away, and then once I started winning races at home, I started travelling to Australia and. I was also really lucky because the world champion for our age group was an Australian rider, so I got to race her quite often. Uh, she had been world champion for longer than I'd been doing BMX. <laughs> so it was really an ideal pathway for me. And uh, in the meantime, I was still doing uh, all these other sports and, and trying out uh, what else there was on so option. So how old are you there then? when I was uh, still early teens. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it still seemed like a lifetime ago Well, now. BMX still wasn't an Olympic sport yeah. at that time. So even though BMX was my favorite and I loved it so much, it wasn't going to get to me to the Olympics. And that was that was the big goal. So okay. I was trying to figure out what other sports I could try in the meantime plan. to get there. But BMX was my favorite. So <laughs> at 15, uh, I found out that BMX was going to become an Olympic sport and that was like alright done decision made I'm, I'm going to work towards being an Olympian for the first Olympics for BMX racing and it's yeah. like a birthday present isn't it like, uh, it what was, was that like on that day do you remember because that's this is like pre, we're, we're old enough now sorry kids <laughs> yeah, it's to like say, 15 years yeah, ago it's like it's just pre Twitter no one posted an Instagram no. post here how did that happen like some of these youth Olympians weren't even born yet <laughs> yeah. but it was it was really I guess at that point my direction in life changed because what I was doing and what I was good at became an Olympic sport and I didn't have to change I was getting to the age 15 16 where I wanted to really make a choice uh, and I thought about switching to track cycling but just for me, the excitement of BMX and, and the jumping and the, that element of it was just what drew me to it and what gives me that passion. So it was kind of perfect, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Beijing as well. Like I remember that moment yeah. thinking about how exciting it was. China just seems so exotic to me, as, yeah. you know, as it, and it was so exciting to have the Olympics there. I can only imagine what it was like when you real. What, what was the point where you thought you realised you were actually not that you could go, but just before that, where you re realised you had a chance of going, basically, because it's just a dream before uh, that, isn't it? Well, I I think when I looked at qualifying for Beijing, it was BMX was still very young and it's professional. Like people were still doing it just as a hobby. Uh. So all of us, as a sport, all the athletes were trying to learn how to be more professional. That we we had more coaches, we were looking at physio and, and psychologists and nutrition and all these elements that we hadn't really worried about up until that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was quite a massive learning experience. But yeah, when getting to Beijing, I think the biggest thing for me was I knew that it was possible to medal, but I didn't truly believe in myself that I was capable. Mm. 
like BMX anything can happen and I kind of had that mindset rather than really believing in my ability yeah. to, to be good enough. It's really hard though BMX because it really is one of those sports where anything can happen. Everyone says anything can happen yeah. but like no one comes into your lane in swimming. No, yeah. You know like this is yeah. it really anything yeah, can happen eight, at BMX. Eight people, no lanes. <laughs> it's just if you're out in front then you, you've got like two, three metres out of the start you can control the race so it, it is so important to get out in front and those thighs those thighs are all there. That's, the, that's the key there yeah power just that acceleration uh, and then being confident and so yeah in hindsight I look back at Beijing and I, I really wish that I believed in my ability more um, but I finished fourth by a fraction. It's always like that though, isn't it? It's like, yeah. well, not always, because yeah. someone, and sometimes everyone crashes and this is like... Well, it was probably, to this day, the most crazy BMX race I've ever been a part of. Like, I, I hit the gate out of the start and got left behind, and then all of a sudden I was third in the first corner, thinking, oh, <laughs> like I could medal. And then out of the first corner, someone else came in the way, and I went back to sixth. And then I... <laughs> Then another crash happened and I was you know, finished in fourth, so it was very, like for a, a 38 second race, yeah. so much happened. Uh, <laughs> How many times have you watched it back? You know, it took me six months to watch it yeah, the first yeah. time, uh, because I really, I didn't want to see something that I could have done differently. Um, so I was really nervous to watch it the first time, but watching it back, I was, everything that I had thought about the race, all the decisions I had made, I, was, I thought I couldn't have done anything differently. So it really gave me that sense of like peace with the result. Like, yeah. well, six months probably a bit too long, isn't it? You know, like, was you was, a bit too young, basically? I was nervous. I, was, yeah. I didn't want to see something I could have done differently because I was, I did feel good about what I'd done, but I didn't want to have that change. I didn't want to regret anything. So yeah. I, I avoided it for a bit. But what it helped me with was really addressing the, not the race itself, but the, the bigger picture and working more with the, more closely with the sports psychologist and uh, believing in my ability more and believing that I was good enough and believing that um, I was capable and not to the point where like I, I, I wanted to avoid being cocky so yeah. I didn't even get to the point where I was confident. I wanted to avoid it that bad so it was kind of allowing myself to be confident um, and know that there is a there is a line between being confident and believing in yourself and being arrogant or cocky, you know. So once I learnt there was kind of that line and that it's okay to be confident and it's okay to believe in yourself, then I kind of went to the next level with my writing as well. Well, that's hot. I guess why did you feel like you weren't confident what was what was it what was what was holding you back I think a New Zealand culture is quite reserved and uh, we don't like sticking our necks out and being like yeah I'm amazing <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it makes us I, I guess you're taught that that's not the normal thing to do and it makes you feel uncomfortable to do that so it makes you a nice person yeah well you just kind of if you do well it's like oh yeah no like <laughs> yeah it was good you know <laughs> so you just you play things down um, which 
yeah, I think is is not a bad thing, but at the same time, when it comes to sport and and being the best at something, you do have to believe that you can be the best, um, and that's okay to believe that. And if you if you believe that, and whether it goes well or whether it doesn't, then that's okay as well. So once I learned all those things, I, I came into London 2012 uh, and won the silver medal. And it was, I believe it was because of my mindset and my attitude towards kind of the outcome and the result. As long as I perform my best every day in training and I believe that I'm capable, then what will be will be and I won a silver medal. So it was really, really cool. Because <laughs> there's four years there and it sort of flies by for people on the peripheral, not yeah. watching, not there every day basically. But it's those little bits of little breakthroughs that you don't even notice almost that all build up to that one day in London. How, how different did you feel on the start line in London to Beijing? <laughs> well, in Beijing I felt like it was a dream. Like everything was surreal. Because at that time without social media, everything I'd seen about the Olympics was what was in front of the camera. Mm. So what I was seeing on TV at all the Olympics growing up, that's what I envisioned the Olympics to be like. Yeah, yeah. But when you get to the Olympics, so in Beijing, I was seeing everything that was behind the camera, things that I hadn't pictured, things that I it's didn't like, know existed. I always thought that it would be super organised, it looks like the best show, everything happens on time yeah. and all this, and everyone's having a wonderful time and, uh, you know, like the coverage is amazing on TV. The reality is it's chaos sometimes, like there's loads of people are shouting, people are really upset because they've lost, you know, like and all these kind of emotions are flying around basically. Yeah, so in Beijing, BMX was one of the last days of the Olympics. So we come into the village, most of the athletes are finished. And what you, well, what I hadn't thought of is that in every event, there's only three medals. Yeah. Like, so most people that go to the Olympics don't get a medal. And so you come in and it's like, a lot of people are, are sad or upset that they've, they've failed or, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. and even, yeah, so that was something that really I did not expect. Uh, and especially being at the end, we had to focus on what we were there for and for our competition and our teammates from New Zealand, uh, people from other, other countries and other sports. You can really sense their emotions and what they're going through. So that was hard to not be distracted by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but on, when you get to London 2012 and you take the silver medal, when you have that confidence in your veins and you believe in yourself that much, the negative aspect of that ends up being that you end up, or is it the negative impact that you can't be happy with the silver? <laughs> For me, that was something that I really worked towards being okay with. <laughs> so, like going in, I work towards like knowing that if I do my absolute best, whatever I finish, I can be proud of. So to be honest, winning the silver felt like gold. You say winning as well. Yeah. Like, which is not nice. That's rare. I've always been like Mr. Journalist as well. Like, yeah. You can't say winning the silver because yeah. like, but no, I suppose it, was, it is. It was amazing. Like I. My first race in the heats, I, I finished fifth. 
<laughs> which wouldn't even qualify qualify me for the final. So, like I I improved throughout the day, and I focused on everything I needed to do to perform. And in that final, I did the best race I could have. And in that race, someone one person was better than me. But I can't control what she does. So when I crossed the finish line, I was just so stoked that I'd done my best in the Olympic final. And I still remember to this day, like standing up on top of the start hill before the final and taking it in and being like, this is really cool. <laughs> like, I remember the stands, uh, the track, it was so. It was a cool was like, track as well, wasn't yeah, it? It was like it was a very... really like, awesome spot. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. I realised, well, that morning. I had this like moment where it like really the weight of the day hit me. Um, it was quite overwhelming, but from that moment, I was like, all right, this is happening. Today's the day. An Olympic medal is on the line today, and I really was in the moment fully. It wasn't uh, like you get asked, do you, when do you think it'll sink in after the after you receive the medal or after the result. But to be honest, it sunk in that morning, yeah, what was yeah. about to happen. So when I crossed the finish line and, and I'd won a medal, I was able to really fully take on everything of that moment and soak it up and, and enjoy it completely because I was like, this is real. <laughs> and I loved it. It was so cool. And, and probably the best part was uh, my training partner and my one of my best friends in BMX, she won bronze. And she had not been on the podium at any BMX race before this. <laughs> uh, so it was her first podium and it was at the Olympic Games and it was with both of us together. So that was really, really special. BMX is one of the, the sports where it could it, like it could end so badly yeah. all the time yeah. that there's kind of a, a, a bond between different people in different countries that you don't you get it in snowboarding you get it in these places where there's been these bad injuries between mm. each other basically yeah uh, I think that there's, there is this like unspoken bond between everybody yeah okay some people don't get on and that's just life but really in the majority when there's so much on the line kind of is together and just sort of gets on with it and it's friendly basically or that's my impression anyway is that right yeah I, I completely believe that so from London to Rio I, I had a lot of injuries um, just a few <laughs> yeah uh, a few <laughs> but I didn't end up qualifying for Rio because I was injured and well, say let's like, say what you, I mean it's not just an injury was it it was like it, it was, was 15 few. bones were broken right yeah at that point in time <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm at 18 now right but, I mean bones heal yeah and but yeah I, I missed out on Rio um, at the last chance qualifier because I I was coming back from an injury <laughs> and then I got injured again and uh yeah, it, probably the coolest part, I don't know if you can find a coolest part in that, but the coolest part was uh, one of my competitors from Venezuela. She came up to me like the day I had not qualified at World Champs and she said that she believed that she was good enough to win the gold uh, in Rio, but she said if anyone else deserved to win gold more than her, it was me. 
and that like I I just not qualified. I was injured. I was heartbroken. But to hear a competitor um, from another country that with that respect and those comments it meant so much to hear that uh, that if I by me not being there was was a shame for the competitors I was like oh that's really <laughs> really sweet it was hard to hear but also really nice to hear yeah I get, I, so when you get the injury um, you say and you, I've read it before where you say oh broken bones heal <laughs> yeah uh, well there is a mental toll the older you get like the, the more bones you break, the more you realise the consequences, the more you realise that there's there's a lot on the line. The le- I mean, you, BMX, you've got to be a bit crazy to do it in the first yeah. place. Like you know, so there's a lot of bravery there. But if you're not, if it knocks your confidence a little bit, then you're 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 done, aren't you? I think. My biggest injury was in 2014. I broke six bones in both my arms and had a head injury. And I didn't know at that point if I'd ever race again because of my head injury. And so it was five months of recovery, not doing any exercise whatsoever. Uh, My future in the sport was very unknown and I was kind of preparing to not be allowed to ride. Uh, but working with a neurologist, uh, a neuropsychologist, a neurophysio, things that I had never heard of before. <laughs> um, once I, I ended up getting clearance, and actually from my worst injury, I actually came back from that with so much more appreciation that I could still do my sport. And so instead of being more afraid, I was actually tried things I'd never tried before or been too afraid to try before because I was given this opportunity to try for a second time. Um, So it was almost like, yeah, this renewal of like, I may never get to do this again, so I'm going to try it. And I'd rather try and fail than kind of finish and not know whether I was capable of or not. So it was unexpected for me to have that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I thought that I would be more afraid, but it was actually the opposite. You see people full on paralyzed. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 really serious. Like what can what can happen? You know, like nearly die. People walking down the aisle you know, uh, and they can't quite do it, you know, like, and having to reassess exactly what means, what, what is recovery, what is recovered, you know. How do you deal with that when you see, like, your friends and stuff like that? You know, you've already said that everyone's super close around yeah. the circuit and stuff. Seeing people, seeing that situation and still taking that risk. Yeah, it's hard when your BMX family, when something goes kind of the the worst end of the scale um, in terms of injuries but like we're all aware of the risk that we take and we do everything we do we can to reduce that risk but sometimes things happen and but you can have injuries when you're not doing sport you know car accidents uh, you could trip down the stairs like you don't know what's going to happen in life and I feel like uh, for me doing what I love and doing BMX is like 
at least if I was to get hurt doing it, I'm doing something that I really enjoy doing. I could quit BMX because I'm, I'm too afraid of getting hurt and then get hurt doing something else. So I might as well get hurt doing something I love, you know? <laughs> um, and, I, and I think, yeah, it's, it sucks to see, see people that we care about get hurt, but I mean, life can be cruel sometimes too. So for Rio 2016, was life cruel to you then? Do you, how, do you, how do you assess that missing out on, on Rio 2016? You know, I look back at Rio being, having the same or similar emotions to London winning a medal, which is, I know, <laughs> your face is like, what? Um, so I, I had the same mindset. Like, I'm going to do the best that I can every day in training. I'm going to do my absolute best in every race. And the outcome will be what it will be. And for Rio, it wasn't even qualifying for the Olympics. And in London, it was winning a silver medal. But both of them, I, I look back on both situations and I'm proud because I did. I, I gave it everything I had in both situations. And sometimes when you do that, it works out. And sometimes when you give your best, it doesn't. And that's okay. For real? For real. Yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud. Like, I, I, I didn't realize at the time I, I broke a bone off of my shoulder. And I was like, no, nah, I'm still riding. I'm still, there's still a chance I could qualify. I'm going to give it everything. And I did. And so I'm, I'm really proud of that. So you just go to bed. Like, it's, I suppose it's one of those things when you... Uh, just sleep easy yeah. knowing when you've tried your hardest. There's no regrets. And I, but that took a long time to get to, to, to be in the, that, that space because I think one of the hardest things about that situation is if you do everything you can and you're the best that you can be and there's no excuse for the, any outcome, like if you're not the best, then it's like, there's no other reason except you're not good enough. And so that's, I think that holds a lot of people back because you, you do everything you can to be the best, but maybe you leave something so that if you don't win, it's like, oh, it's for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you've got something to make you feel a little bit better. But when you do your absolute best and give everything you've got, and then someone else is better, it's like, oh. <laughs> Maybe this, uh, it's a lot harder, yeah. So I think for me, I, I got to the point where it's like, if I'm the best that I can be and someone else is better, then that's cool. It's good for them. If my son or daughter suddenly started getting the BMX out, I'd be like, oh, no, no, <laughs> uh -oh, oh, no please, no. Like, are we in for a... It's so good. Like, I honestly, I think... BMX is preparing me so well for life beyond sport because I learned to accept failure on a whole nother level. <laughs> like failing isn't just like I wasn't good enough, it's like broken bones. So there's some big consequences for, for failing and what I do. But 
being able to accept failure and truly like accept failure as an outcome allows me to give even more. So in, in the future, whatever I do, it's like, yes, failure is an option. But to me, when I fail, it's proof that I've given everything. And sometimes that failure is like me giving a hundred, I gave too much. I, was, I pushed myself a little bit too far and I failed. But if I don't fail, then was I actually giving my best? So every time I fail, it's actually, I see it as a good thing because it's proof that I was giving 100%. You won't believe me, but that's one of the things that I wrote down in on my notes. Yeah. It's like, it's just like, I think that she thinks this, basically. Yeah. I think that for you, there is a... Failing is one of these words that gets thrown around, like in a wrong, it's wrongly defined, uh, basically. Well, especially in sport, but in general society as well, failure is such a bad word. It's so negative, it's like this horrible thing that you need to avoid. But to me, I've, I've got to the point and had all these experiences in my life that failing isn't a bad thing, it's actually, I, I see it as a good thing. Like, <laughs> if I fail, it's like, without any doubt, that was my best. Like, Gym's probably the easiest place to fail because uh, it's in a controlled environment. But it will quite often be my goal every week in the gym is to fail. Because if I needed to do an exercise uh, and lift a weight six times, then I could only do it five because I failed on the sixth. I couldn't have gone any heavier. But if I did it six times and got the sixth one, could I have done the seventh? Could I have done a little bit more weight? Was it 99%, you know? Where if I fail, it's like, yeah, that was my max. So I, I aim to fail every week. Would it feel so horrible to fail? It does, but it's like everything. If you practice, then you get more comfortable with it. So the more I fail, if I fail every week, then if I have a bigger failure, I've practiced that feeling and I'm more comfortable with it and I'm more accepting of the outcome. So the big takeaway is... <laughs> Fail more. <laughs> get out there, get, just, yeah, just be a disaster zone. Yeah. Every week, basically. Yeah, every week you should fail. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I know it's, it's, it is a crazy thought and it, it did take me some time to get to that point where I, I really believe it's a good thing. Um, and yeah, it sucks sometimes to fail, but I feel like the more I fail, the more I learn, and the more I know that I can't be giving any more because <laughs> you can't do more than failing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true, and before yeah. we fail any more, I just have to say thank you very much, and that's yeah. all good. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, cheers. Olympic Channel Podcast. Thanks to Timo Brune, who recorded that one. We also had Nacho Carreño along for the ride too. So last week we were on LA time because we spoke to two top gymnasts and Olympic gold medalists, Jordan Weber and Madison Koshin. At Jag136 on Twitter said that Jordan is going to be a superstar coach. 
She is using her experience now as a coach at UCLA. Scott Bregman did the interview and he's still in Doha for the World Championships right now. Check out our socials to see that on at Olympic Channel. I can also see that we've got listeners from Japan, Spain and Germany. So get in touch. We would love to hear from you about story ideas, people you want us to interview. I am at Eddie Knowles on socials if you want to get in touch with me. Everyone has gone a bit quiet on me since the Youth Olympic Games. So if you've got any opinions, send them over. Right, a little favour to ask, write a review. If you enjoyed the Olympic Channel podcast, then please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It helps other people find us too. Subscribe, that's another way of never missing an Olympic Channel podcast, but also helps other people find us too. That is it for now. We will see you soon. Think like an Olympian.